You're listening to the Punk Theology Podcast. That is what it is. You're listening to Season 1, Episode 32, Why Do Myself What a Machine Can Do For Me. Right? The intro to the show. Today, my friend Chuck. Um, Chuck, this man has let you, the listener, into some of his sacred ground, into the vulnerable parts of his story here. It's hard to have a conversation about consciousness without bringing in someone who's experienced the transformation that Chuck has. And why? Eventually, Chuck got to a place where something must break. Like, does it bother you that it might not go perfect? Perfect, yeah. Or you have to reprocess. Yeah, is there again? is there a control thing you know, in me? Well, okay, control but, but, but consider this: so the other side to that argument is that they have what they call I forget the. T- This is episode uh, 32, is what we're on. How are you doing, Chuck? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Ross? We're missing Steve and, and Arthur. So there's just the four of us. And uh, we finally got it warm up in here a little bit. Derek's got the, the heater going. It's got, like, the heater. The heater. The wood stove. Wood stove. We're like Northwesterners in the garage. Cranked up the old wood stove. I even brought some... Uh, a couple of blocks for you. Some dry shit. Yeah. I feel like I need a quilt and a good book. <laughs> there yeah. you go. Hot cocoa with the marshmallows. A little bit of rum. A little bit of rum. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah. Kahlua. You ever had Kahlua and hot chocolate? Oh, pretty damn good. yeah. I never had Kahlua and hot chocolate. That's good. That's good. Yeah. We'll put that on the Punk Theology uh, <laughs> recipe page. <laughs> We have, we have a recipe. A recipe page? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> That's right. That we Facebook. do have a patron page, though. <clears throat> That's right. I got the patron, one patron saint right behind me over there, Carlton. Been with us since week one. Since we, yeah, that's right. And he's our only one. He's There's our only one. Carlton, <laughs> you're a little lonely on the board. We 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 love you, brother. Anybody else would like to to contribute and be a Patreon saint? Is that sacrilegious? I don't know. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> somebody it's okay. Nothing else somebody would be offended. Like <laughs> <Yeah>. That's right. <laughs> it's not like we're going to offend anyone or anything. <clears throat> so consciousness. We are uh, doing a part two on, on consciousness. And woke, hashtag woke, which sounds a little more judgy, right? And you can use that. And we, I think we talked about that in the last one. I don't want to be repetitive. But we have Chuck here. We didn't have Chuck when we recorded the first one. And Chuck's the only Chuck. woke guy we got. So. Yeah, I'm the only woke one. He finally showed up for part two. There you go. I was sleeping still for part one. <laughs> That's right. So how's uh, how's Chuck doing? Chuck is... I'm doing well. Chuck is more I, woke. Um, for those of you that have just started listening, I went to a... 
to a White Raven Center workshop to cure my sexual abuse history, past, whatever you want to call it, and I quit smoking instead. <laughs> so thanks, White Raven. We got some healing from you. At least you. No, I, yeah, the, yeah. So part of it was the the disassociation that I had. It was just an extreme uh, wake up in the middle of nowhere and not be on, you know, not be hung over, right? Um, the the folks from White Raven described it as uh, an alternate personality with this entity that was kind of controlling my body, I guess, at times. I Yeah, I don't know about all that, but um, it did wake me up, though, to realize how often I like leave my body, how I just will go into my head and right. put myself on autopilot. Right. And so that was huge. Go into zombie mode. Yeah. I can relate to that. Yeah. Um, and then when I came back, I did a process with um, Amy Taylor, and two of them actually. I just did one on on Tuesday, uh, a couple of days ago, and that was good. Just again opening up my eyes to just things that I do, and really how to just process some of my healing. Yeah. So it's, and deal with your emotions and feelings and all that stuff, right? Yeah, just realize that I have them. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And now it's just been trying to figure out, basically mature them, because uh, mm. they're all stuck in this like pre-adolescent stage you know when i was right. through all my trauma like he got locked in there or something yeah yeah it was just like a so when so i retrieved my you know 11 year old self on tuesday i i actually was the way it was interpreted to me during this process the way i interpreted it was more of like a seven-year-old self um and so now yesterday and today i've just been kind of wrestling with this weird language that's been going on in my head that i've haven't heard in a long time and so it's okay, that's a seven-year-old talking kind of language. And so now I just need to basically teach him to use adult language, my language. Okay. So kind of reparenting yourself. Yeah. It's beautiful. Or with Susan, I was telling her, like, a lot of it's like reprogramming. Yeah. And Susan is a therapist that Chuck and I see Mondays. We're involved in a group uh, for (coughs) adult male survivors of childhood sexual assault. Which is really interesting because there's a lot of people out there. So they're trying to spread the message of these groups because there's all therapists that work at this place called the Dawson Center here in Everett. And, you know, they're noticing that this is the roots of a lot of people's shit, you know. A lot of people are sitting in AA groups or NA groups or in therapy dealing with depression or, or anxiety and it, which a lot of addiction is just a, a way to treat those symptoms. And so, you know, this is like Susan said, you know, we're, we're not interested in labeling you. We're interested in getting to the roots of, of what, what it is that, that grew the label. Like if you don't, if you're an adult male survivor, for example, and you don't have PTSD, then we're concerned. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's, there's something else going on. It's kind of like that old saying about the anger management, right? Like the guy screaming at the checkout counter at the woman behind the counter, you don't worry about him. You worry about the guy who's right behind him who's not saying anything and he's got a shotgun, you know, <laughs> under his coat. And he's just, yeah. You worry about me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, constantly just stewing and not doing anything. So, 
so yeah, those groups are, are <clears throat> amazing and, and helpful and and that's kind of what we do here. And it's funny, it had me thinking about like I was on Facebook and I'm I'm a part of some of these different Christian groups that are sort of outside the box and organic, use words like that, and, and unchurched is another group I'm a part of and people that have been uh uh, sexual, uh, not just sexual assault, but spiritual abuse. There's a lot of Facebook groups on that. And the people that, it's funny how a lot of, especially in Christianity or evangelicalism, there's a lot of emphasis on repenting of your sins. But it seems like those are the people, the people that are saying that are the ones that have whole tons of shit they're not dealing with. Sure. <laughs> you know? yeah. they, just have, they just have really nice language to kind of cover the top of it and say, you know, uh, I've got Jesus or whatever God's it is. God's in control. God's, God's in control. Yeah, yeah. I, he's got a plan. He forgives all of my past sins and future sins. Yeah, yeah. Don't. There's know. also a thing where you've got a big old load of shit that you're trying to deal with, and you're taking like little tiny shovels full of it and dealing with that. Yeah. And that feels like progress, right? Like some of that talk like, therapies like that, right? Yeah, and yeah. then people are like, like. Like, hey, I'm dealing with my shit. I'm doing something. I'm doing something, right? Like, I'm making a little teaspoon of progress every day type of thing. And they've just got mountains and mountains Mm -hmm. that they haven't delved into. Um, And uh, and there's definitely... And, I mean, like, you can't shit on them for that, right? Like, yeah, yeah, that's that's a totally... Yeah. It takes courage. Yeah. Yeah, Like, uh, but at the same time, um, trying to figure out how to get people... Or even, not even get people, get yourself, I suppose, is what it is, to say, okay, am I just taking little teaspoons? Yeah. And can I get myself to a point where I'm taking bigger, like, yeah, where cup, I'm yeah. going in? Or shows, yeah. right? right. Going into that. Yeah. And I love that language in, in the Psalms, you know. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you know, your rod and staff comfort me. Because if you really believe this shit, then why are you afraid to go into some some of the shit you're, you know, that you're scared, you know? Because you're scared. Because you're scared, and I get that. Yeah. I'm not shitting on that. But that's kind of, that's part of it. I mean, I, I'm in that space in well, some it's, places. It's interesting, too, because I was, in, and I'm still portions of me is in that space where I don't want to, I don't want to open this box yet. Mm-hmm. And it's not... Part of it is the, a huge part of it is I'm just afraid to do it. So there are right. boxes still that you yeah, there are boxes okay. that I don't want to open up. Because um, it seemed like you opened the box of all boxes. I got to the point where I just I had enough, and so sure. screw screw trying to figure out how to keep this box closed um, and go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it's, I'm afraid to still open some of these boxes, but yet I know based on opening up. Other boxes that are just as bad or worse, I'm alive. Right. And it actually wasn't that hard. You know, right. Just getting over that initial fear was, well, triumphant in itself. I mean, it was hard. I wonder, too, with what Derek was saying, if people choose conventional means like talk therapy, maybe medication. And again, nothing wrong with that stuff. I think it has some good benefits. I think it really works for some people. But it's just, they're sort of they don't know what to do or where to go. It's like, oh, you know, I go to church, I go to therapy, I take my medicine, you know. Yeah, I'm dealing with it, right? But, but, you know, when you talk about something like a White Raven Center or doing body work, it's kind of out there for a lot of people. I think that those things come by way of 
desperation or curiosity uh, and, and enough desperation and or curiosity to do away with whatever fear has you in more conventional means to just deal with it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and sometimes maybe the catalyst is just it not working or it taking too long or you just growing in pain. See, pain's always the catalyst. Right. <laughs> it's always the catalyst. Um, but there's... But, pain. But the other thing is there's so much stuff out there, you know, and there's so many people that are doing quote healing work and you know they all want your money everyone's trying to sell a book or peddle a product and you can almost get paralysis by analysis mm-hmm. you know yeah. it's like well, it have... becomes very cerebral right it's not in your body anymore so much in your head that and then your head just knows how to reason in circles and you never really get to make any progress because you're just kind of the money thing is interesting, though, that you bring mm-hmm. that up. Yeah. Because, uh, and I've thought about this, too. It's like, okay, White Raven, like, sure, they're, they're going to make a living. Sure. You know? Yeah. But then, why not try to market it so that it doesn't cost anything? Or that it's the bare minimum. Like, you pay what it actually costs you to be, live there for a couple of days. I mean, because you are staying in their house. Yeah. Um, and I think it was Seth that was explaining that the way Floyd interprets all of this is like it there's energy with money yeah and it not necessarily doesn't work if there isn't an exchange of money but it's less effect yeah. and i wonder if there's oh, any truth to that it's true. Yeah, probably. i think there is probably. and I've, I've i even talk about that on the other podcast so on the podcast that i talk about addiction that i've been doing for 12 years i i've seen that in my own life like there's an energy to being generous and I think that th- there's a hoarding energy to addiction. Like there's a, there's is there's almost a hoarding thing unto yourself that comes from from being an addict. And a great way to break that habit is to to practice generosity. And so, you know, and I've said this, you know, give to the ASI podcast. But um, that, uh, you know, but but I also so if you go to the give page for that website, I have other things to give to. Because I realize that somebody listening is going to say, you're just some smooth-talking Christian shyster who's after my wallet. And I'm like, no, you know, don't give to me that. If you think that, great. Don't give me a fucking dime. Give it to somebody else. But, yeah, practice that. It's like a muscle, I think. Generosity is like a muscle. It goes against... Well, that's one good thing about Christmas this time of year is you're, you're kind of having to think about buying shit for other people. <laughs> There's something sort of beautiful about that, right? I mean, ultimately, just put your mind where your mouth is. It's mm-hmm. that yeah. idea. Well, like, yeah. If you actually believe... Like, and it's kind of a backwards thing. Like It's, it's like now you're incentivized... To put your mouth where your money went, right? <laughs> yeah. You already put the money out there, so now you gotta gotta back it up, um, and you're much more likely. And a lot of this stuff that we're like, it works best if you're really engaged and you really believe it's gonna work. Yeah. So, yeah. so a really good way, you know, it's like, it's like going and watching sports with a friend that you don't have any interest in either team, but you t- put ten bucks down, all of a sudden you have a huge amount of interest <laughs> in how those teams do. It's yeah. kind of like that. Like, okay, I'll, I'll put something into the table, and then all of a sudden my interest in this, my, you know, we call it a buy-in, right? My buy-in right. is really... You got some skin in the game. Right, skin yeah. in the game, and all yeah, of a sudden yeah. I'm much more likely to take this serious. Yeah. And, uh... I interviewed Craig Gross of Triple X Church, and he has uh, groups on his page. So it's like a... It's sort of like a Skype thing. So it's like being in a small group, only you're on Skype, so you see other people. And, and But he charges 30 bucks a month for it. And I'm like, why don't you just do it for free? And he's like, well, first of all, we got bills to pay. And second of all, 
it works a lot better if people have skin in the game. Yeah. And he goes, now that he does charge for it, he goes, I don't think I would do it for free because you're just going to get a bunch of assholes who aren't really serious. Yeah. If someone's willing to pay 30 bucks a month to be in one of those groups, they're a little more serious about you know really sharing shit that's going well, to make I've a difference. Well, that's my sister about not this particular mm-hmm. part of the topic, but... Um, they were going through this uh, like a three or four week study in their women's group in the church and at the end they got to the at all costs and so it's she's saying like okay now pray that God will do something in your life at all costs and it's like okay so I'm broke I don't got money to give to White Raven to go on this you know freaking ride right but yet I figured it out at all costs, right? You know, so it's like, yeah. okay, well, if I pay this and do this and do this, work a little bit extra, I have some money to do it. Yeah. You know, so it's the skin in the game is higher. Yeah. Because it's it's harder to get the money to do it. Yeah. And you got to plan for it. And yeah. It becomes valuable. And there's something right. to value. Yeah. When you value something, yeah, it has different, has different energy, to use that word. So, Chuck, how do you feel different now than when you were... Beforehand, I mean, there's a million different ways. And we noticed the it. Most is I wonder if person. listeners notice it. Do you notice Chuck's different than he was in episode one? Or because th- we three noticed three or four or five, <laughs> or six. basically nine. through nine, right? Yeah, nine um, yeah, it's just being present. And that's I remember when Bill and group the week I came back after White Raven, he's like, "Man, you still have fucking shut up," kind of thing, right? <laughs> like, well, yeah, I'm here. I go, well, yeah, that's right. I haven't really been here. Like, I just. I don't leave my body anymore and go into my head. And you still that. find that Monday group beneficial? Yeah. Yeah, because it's right now, too, just because I'm, so I'm planning that trip back to home, well, back to my parents' house, and so I'm going to talk to them about the shittiness of my growing up. Oh. And so it's a lot of, and that's, yeah, that's another box I'm just opening up, right? Sure. Um, and so it's, she's been really helpful with that as far as just... She'll make her comment and I'll tell her she's full of shit and then she's like, but am I? You know, like, and just, she just goes through it for me logically. It's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah you're right. And it's, and Russ is good and Bill's in the back now and then there's another guy that's going to come on Monday. And so it's just that sharing of the Me Too and Russ talks about that mm. all the time, right? So it's just, you're going through whatever bad part it is and someone knows how you feel. Mm-hmm. It's just that common interest. I think I got that from a guy <clears throat> I interviewed. One of the first guys I interviewed doing the the other podcast, and it was it was maybe four or five episodes in, and he, his name is Doctor Block, and and he was a he was a pretty sizable guest because this guy had been on. <laughs> ironically, he'd been interviewed by Matt Lauer <laughs> on the Today Show, so he'd been on the Today Show like a handful of times, and here he is coming on my stupid little podcast, you know. That I recorded with a fucking tape recorder at the time, <laughs> you know, and uh, but one of the things he said was like he had a really fucked up childhood. He went to he went to college because you know New York City, you know, being fairly liberal, you know, he'd been from the projects and shit like that. Just because he was a smart kid, they just gave him a full ride into college, and he became a a, a doctor, you know. But he said he would sit in groups with people and. He realized that he had this kind of gift, and it was also because of his fucked up childhood. And he goes, because he would sit there and someone would start unpacking their stuff, and he'd go, 
oh, me too. <laughs> you know? And then somebody else would be, oh, me too. You know, and it was like, and I'm like, oh, shit. You know, and I experienced some of that too because I've been through so much shit. I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah, me too. You know, and there's something powerful to that. Yeah. But it takes people kind of taking their mask off, right? And yeah. Sort of getting emotionally naked. Was it exhausting being more present all the time or did it feel good or? At first, it was exhausting just because I wasn't used to it. Um, Did it feel like walk around naked, kind of? No, no. It, no. it, it was exciting. Okay. And it, it was nerve wracking, too, at the beginning because I remember the drive home and <clears throat> I used to disassociate for any or all reasons. Um, so I'm driving home, there's nothing on the radio. I'm not having a conversation in my head, I'm just enjoying the drive home and kind of processing my experience, I guess, really. Yeah. And I notice that I keep trying to leave and go into my head. And it's like, why am I like why am I doing this? Like why would I want to just leave this? Like I had a good experience over the weekend. Um, and so that was a little nerve wracking. Um, I got to a point where I just I realized how long I've been doing it for and then it's like well shit like I got a college education not an easy college education either I hold a job I'm one of eight people that know the information that I know and other aspects of my professional career how the hell did I do all this whenever I was a zombie half the time more than half the time um I sleep a lot better that's another thing I noticed uh, I used to sleep for like four hours a night and now it's it's probably seven or eight, which is good. I don't have an issue going to bed anymore. Right. Nice. That's great. It was that falling asleep that was hard? Yeah. For you? Yeah. Because yeah. my mind would just race. <clears throat> and just bring, replaying all these bullshit tapes. Now the tape recorder's broken. Yeah, it was, no. They still play, but it's just like, okay. They don't have the power. They don't have the power over it anymore. <laughs> And even lately, too, the tapes have been different. Um, I used to play this memory all the time about being in this hallway. <clears throat> and it used to be this like dark, damp, nasty place. And now it's just a normal fucking hallway. And it's like, oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, I remember this. Yeah. This is supposed to be this horrible, nightmarish memory and it doesn't have the effect at all anymore it's like oh this is stupid actually why am I even thinking about this crap right. and so I turn off the tape or change the channel so like I've noticed I finally past couple weeks have sort of turned a corner with the work I've been doing in EMDR uh, and one thing I, I, I've noticed and actually I've been you know, working through is is when your baseline's elevated a bit and a lot of the rumination quiets down because that's something I tend to struggle with is, you know, like rumination, worry, uh, negative self-talk, <clears throat> typical anxiety stuff. But but when that quiets down or it loses power over you, the question then becomes, what replaces it? And sometimes it's like, oh, wait, I'm not, like, obsessively worrying about shit all day. Uh, oh, that's great. Yeah. Well, what am I doing? Well, I'm just more present working. Yeah. But it's not like, but it's almost like that, oh, that, that's quiet, or oh, that doesn't have power over me. But there's that question, like, well, what replaces it? Like, all, all that time you used to spend, just in your mind, you know. Right. Sir, sir, there's Being things present, enjoying the presence, I think, is what replaces it. Or when you don't, not letting it 
you know, let it spiral you out of control. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, and not beating yourself up about it too. Yeah. Because I I beat myself up or used to about replaying some of the stuff. Like, why do I do this? This is you know I don't like that. So why do I keep thinking it? And now it's like, oh yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought about it. Who gives a shit? Yeah. Move on. Let it go. Yeah. I had a conversation with a friend last week about like flinching away from memories. Mm-hmm. Like physically, like having a reaction of like, ah, mm-hmm. like I just don't want to even, mm-hmm. like I, I actually have to shake my body or my head physically to get that memory to go away. I had that um, one Russ mentioned John Piper. I <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. just, how often that that type of stuff happens to me. And and then just realizing that that while that's normal, that's also that also means something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And figuring out okay, like are, instead of flinching away, I gotta lean into it. Yeah. Right. Like okay, that that actually goes somewhere, and if I have the courage to follow it, I can get to the point where it won't just be a flinch thing every time I think about it. It won't plague me like it has, where where like you said, it just becomes a memory. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, and that's what I like too about, and it's not. The fact that White Raven has the you know the be all cure all formula, um, it, their particular processing is one way. However, Floyd does say that you know it's he used this surfing analogy that you know you're on the sea of just sadness, darkness, death, and we don't want to be in the sea. And he's what I'm going to tell you to do is not only get off your surfboard and swim in it but dive as deeply as possible into it. And so it's almost when you start to, you know, shake off something like that, stop whatever you're doing if you can, and just lean real hard into it, dive. And once you, if you can do it without hedging yourself, going really deep into it, you come out of it and you realize, oh, like, that wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it was going to yeah. be. And, now, and then all of a sudden you have the courage to try something different. Mm-hmm. Um, just because it's not nearly as scary as the first time that you tried it. Yeah. I, I went through something. This is one of the things I've been working through is because I would go into my stuff when it would arise. But I always found it to be unrelenting or persistent or just engulfing. And I got to a point where, it's eventually like why I even sought therapy, was um, it just was too much. Uh, because it's like it's one thing to to, to go into it. And it's like okay, well, uh, I don't have all day to do this. So what the fuck? Right. And when you when you and I don't know, and I don't want to speak to you know serious trauma. I don't know what that's. I can only speak from my own experience, which that isn't part of my story. Although I have trauma and pain like anybody, but but um, you know when you're talking about like actual PTSD diagnoses, things like that, or childhood sexual trauma. I don't know what to well, say. your dad died. Oh, yeah. I'm early. Not, like, not, you were, what, 12? I'm not minimizing that. Yeah, yeah. I'm not minimizing That's pretty big, dude. It's pretty big. Yeah. I'm not minimizing it. But what I'm saying, though, is is when you go into it, you can't... This is one thing I've really been working on. You can't do it with an attitude of, of, um, of being timid or being uh, reluctant or, okay, well, uh, I'm, I'm here and... Uh, uh, this really sucks, and I just uh, okay, uh, okay. I'm just gonna sit here with it, and 
all right, I see it, I'm sitting with it, and oh, I can't wait till this ends because this really sucks and this really hurts. So when you go into it with that kind of attitude, you're not going to really make a lot of progress. You're just going to kind of stay stuck. What you have to go into it is with an attitude of, of this is hard, this is difficult, but I can handle this. I can work through this. Um, and in some, I've read some psychologists even say, uh, there's a fascinating guy, I encourage anyone to look him up, um, named Reed Wilson, really interesting uh, guy who's doing some work in this area where he even tells people to actually go into it with an attitude of, I want this, mm-hmm. you know, like, I, I yeah. want this. Yeah. And it's like, it sounds so counterintuitive. It's yeah. tremendously counterintuitive. But when you go into it with, you sort of treat it like, like maybe, say, lifting weights, you know, uh, the way resistance works with weight training, per se. It, it might not feel good to lift weights with free <clears throat> weights, but when you realize it, I'm doing this, I'm breaking down my muscle fibers to get stronger. You're going to get stronger eventually. You're retraining the amygdala to not respond because what makes the amygdala respond is is, is resistance. Yeah. And when you're in that mode of, okay, I'm, I'm in it, I'm, I'm habituating, I'm doing the work, I'm not resisting it. But when you have that attitude of, ah, but I really hate it and I really yeah. want it to be over, you're really not retraining the amygdala when you're when you have that kind of attitude in it, yeah, and so yeah. that's one key thing that I think needed to kind of click for me. That's um, interesting to consider. And again, I don't know what that looks like for <clears throat> for trauma, like yeah. childhood sexual trauma or PTSD. It's also helpful but, for you know some people who are dealing with compulsive behaviors. You know, like what is it leading you into? Yeah. And Seth and I were talking about that. Like, <clears throat> what if you? You stop negatively charging it and go, all right, you know, the pornography, for example, someone who's compulsively using porn, say this is this is leading me into a deeper relationship with my body. Like what what is in here that 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 I'm after, right? It's that's asking different questions. Like it's almost being thankful for your addiction. Because it's yeah. leading you deeper into well, they, asking different and questions. That's weird when they tell you to do that. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how many times I've been told during a process, well, thank yourself for that. What? Yeah. Like, no, that's crazy. Why would I thank myself for disassociating? Yeah. Because you were protecting oh, yourself. Oh, because you were protecting. protecting yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it makes that sense. That thing was protecting. At the time, it was like, no, you're crazy. Yeah. And now it's like, oh, yeah, okay. I get yeah. it. Yeah. And yeah, it's that's there's something to that, and that's something that maybe listeners might be thinking too. Is there's somebody out there going, "Why don't these guys just stop living in the past?" Well, because of addiction, for one thing, you know, depression, anxiety. Like we it's can present. say, it is in the present. Yeah, exactly. It's, in the, it's here. You got to go, and it's emotional, and it's something that where place you got stuck, and that's what trauma does. Is it freezes people mm-hmm. in time? You know, it's like that old saying. Time heals all wounds. Like no, no it fucking it doesn't. doesn't. Yeah. No, hard, hard, hard work does. Yeah. So when do you start eating? It's like getting an infection and going, oh well, it'll just go away on its own. <laughs> no, you might lose your fucking arm. I cut my hand off last night. We're going to grow back within time. <laughs> when do you start EMDR then? Oh, next week. Really? Yeah. Oh man. You excited? Uh, no. No. <laughs> we haven't talked about EMDR. Have we explained? I think we touched on so, it. Yeah, because you're... So, speaking of woke as fuck, here's where woke as John 
Because you've been going yeah, through some two, of this. We have two wokes. I'm kind of yeah. so, so. Derek likes my my obese guy analogy, and I've I've used kind of my. Why don't you explain EMDR first, and then? I think you're better at explaining it than me, to be honest with you. I uh, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, where um, it, it's just, uses bilateral stimulation. Usually with lights, uh, sometimes with vibrations like buzzers that you actually hold in your hands, sometimes with sounds. And, um, and the, the woman that founded it's like the psychologist, her name's Francine Shapiro, and she kind of came across it by accident when she was taking a walk. This is the story, and, and um, I forget what it was that, that she was doing or saw, but basically it was she was kind of dealing with a stressful situation and, and Something along the walk made her eyes like move back and forth, like kind of in a left-right sort of motion. She realized, uh, you know, that the thing that she was thinking about had sort of subsided, and it was enough of an impact to make her explore it and do work on it and research it. And long story short, she developed this whole system that basically has to do with um, the bilateral stimulation allows you to reprocess trauma, emotions. Uh, pain and it bypasses it bypasses the brain and goes into the body uh, it goes straight to the limbic system to basically dig that stuff out where you can reprocess it in a way that's not as traumatizing so there is an exposure element to it there is a sort of habituation element to it but you're reprocessing memories and emotions in a way that like you don't have to completely relive them or immerse yourself in them right i mean you do somewhat but but that's what the bilateral stimulation does is it kind of takes the edge off that um Derek probably has a more scientific way of unpacking that than just my lay kind of tertiary like eh. <laughs> what, right. would you add anything to that or i mean there's a whole theory behind it yeah 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 go into that because okay. that's because it gets <clears throat> rapid eye movement so there's a whole bunch you know there's a lot of different ways to tell this story. Right. This version I'm going to tell is the pure materialistic mm. uh, standpoint. It's not science because it hasn't been peer-reviewed or any of that stuff. It just uses science language to kind of explain something. The MDR has been peer-reviewed. Yeah, I mean, but even then, like, it's... It's, it's uh, some controversy. It's, kind of, it's pretty loose in terms of what's actually going on. Mm, okay. So the things that I say, the explanation that I have are going to use scientific The terms. efficacy's been peer-reviewed, yes, but not the... but the not, not what actually physically is happening. Gotcha, so okay. The explanation that I have been given, and I haven't done EMDR yet, but my sister's been doing it for a long time now, um, and she's seen a lot of good results, and I'm planning on doing it uh, probably after the new year, um, is that... <clears throat> um, from an evolutionary standpoint, animals, when they experience trauma, go through this cycle where they hit the fight or flight and the adrenaline goes off uh, and you know it gets them out of danger. And then immediately after that, they go through this, this physical thing where uh, their eyes run and they get glazed over and their nose runs and they kind of shake. Uh, and you've probably seen this if you've ever seen an animal that's been traumatized, like a dog that's been beat or something like that. Um, this is really common in like like deer and stuff that will mm-hmm. just give themselves up mm-hmm. to be killed. Yeah. Uh, or deer caught in the headlines. Right. Saying well, that's more that's more of a... They don't know. Yeah, that's, that's, they're just that's, stupid. That's beforehand. That, <laughs> okay. beforehand. that would just be freezing. This would be after they've had a full fight or flight mm. uh, experience, a full traumatic experience. Okay. Um, 
And that where, you know, a wolf will just, once this has started, they're completely defenseless, and a wolf will just walk up and kill them, and mm-hmm. they'll just stand there. Um, they become not, food. And they, yeah, they're not even really there, right? They're, yeah. not, they're not present. Um, and the theory is that what happens is when you go through a traumatic event, your brain gets this wash of cortisol. Your limbic system basically gets this wash of cortisol. Your limbic system is kind of your animal brain, right? Like mm-hmm. it's your like lizard brain comes mm-hmm. up a lot. People talk about that. Um, gets this big wash of cortisol. And there's a possibility that I'm screwing some of these things up, so don't take this to the bank, by the way. Um, <laughs> check, Derek. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm not a, Fact I check. am not a doctor. I just play one on this podcast. Um, and... Uh, and so Derek science miking the shit out of right. this. That's right. I'm science Derricking. <laughs> Fuck science, Mike. I got that's it. right. Science Derek again. Uh, anyway, so cortisol gets in the brain, and what happens when that animal goes through that trauma thing is that the cortisol they basically have this like little seizure in their brain, and it loosens up all that cortisol, and then it gets worked out of the system. Um, which some people think, well, like even like the tears thing, like you can't. There's some speculation that you can't actually release cortisol from your brain unless you cry through it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's more speculative based on what they see rather than something they can prove. So humans getting, you know, this thing where you go through a traumatic event and then your body shuts down, not so good from a survival standpoint, right? Yeah. Like, like, and so... If you're at war, if right. you're a soldier, like they train you for that shit. Right, yeah, you can't have your soldiers all of a sudden just... Start shaking. Hanging out for a couple hours right. or a day, right? Just right, just talking about recover, yeah. 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 So what happened was that the the frontal lobe, our thinking part of ourselves, learned to take over. Mm-hmm. So immediately after the fight or flight, the frontal lobe steps in and says, okay, we're going to fix this logically. We're going to get us out of danger. We're going we're gonna to get everything kind of buttoned up and safe, and then we'll come back later. Yeah. and process all this this shit. The problem was there's not an instruction manual that says, oh, by the way, go back and process all of this shit. Right. Um, so, and then what happens in that process is is it's almost unfortunate the role that the frontal lobe takes on because then it starts building walls. So yep. not only is it, uh, is did it get out of trouble, then it builds this wall that says don't go back there, which is ironic because what you really, really, really need to do is go is back. Go back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the but the brain says no, we're not going to do that. So what all EMDR is is bypassing the frontal lobe, mm-hmm. and basically there's these stimulations, bineural, bilateral stimulation, where basically kind of activates both hemispheres of your brain and does all these weird things, and then, and your frontal lobe just kind of goes Ugh. like it's basically hypnotiz- hyp- hypnosis. Yeah. Right, like hip, yes. hip, I mean, it's not exactly like that, but it's along the same lines of like, okay, you're just kind of shutting this stuff down, and you're getting to a kind of a deeper place, and then and, you're getting into your body, right? And if just, you start with a memory that was traumatic, and you can kind of spur that fight or flight, a little bit of that fight or flight, and then bypass the frontal lobe, it sends you down this path where all of a sudden you end up in your limbic system. Yeah. And all the, and that process takes over. That was supposed to happen, you know, thirty years ago when this traumatic thing happens. And that's where that mystical language can be good, right? Because there's no real logical language for that shit. Well, I just gave so, you one. But. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> it is, but when you're in it, I mean, when you're when you're in that place, and people are using things, saying things like entities, or you know, there's people that will say you're being exercised or something like that. Yeah. 
and some of that can be ego. It can, egoic, but it, but there's there, there's good language for pulling that emotional shit past your logical part of your brain. There's well, a, so you can deal with it. It's not even a it's not even an action that you do. Yeah, like it's not. It's like an inevitability. Like if yeah. you get it to the point where it's triggered, it just happens. And like you a vomit. You don't do yeah. anything, right? Yeah. Like yeah. it just does it. There's a famous uh, Stanford atheist, uh, a famous scientist who has a Robert Sapolsky. Look him up on YouTube. Fascinating guy. But he has a book called Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers, basically describing a lot of what Derek was talking about. Yeah. Oh, one thing, other thing I'd say though is is the actual the actual um, the actual work itself, like doing EMDR, is nothing like hypnosis. Nothing. Um, Hypnosis is sort of like, in a way, like to you know relax you or to reprocess something, maybe like in an altered state, dealing with the subconscious mind. EMDR, I think, maybe does work on the subconscious, but you're completely conscious the whole time. Um, but it's a trip. I mean, you yeah. shaking, bawling. It, it, it's pretty heavy shit. Yeah. But but yeah, it definitely bypasses that. And and what's interesting about it is your subconscious mind just knows like how to connect the dots and where you need to go with the memories. And yeah. it's, it's really interesting stuff. What do you think about? Because my therapist mentioned medication while I'm going through it. Because I have a lot of trauma. Yeah. And and she said. But then I've heard I've heard people say, and I had a conversation with with a with a friend about this uh, earlier. Actually, we, we were talking about this, and he said <clears throat> he said that what if it slows it down and numbs it? Like, what if you could do it well, faster without the medication? Yeah, yeah, you you said that too. <sighs> The, 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 but I still have to go to work. Like that's my thing. Is like I can yeah, just yeah, go yeah. in and, and then oh, oh I'm going to go to work afterwards. I had, I had, I had at least... Again, Could you go to work after one of those sessions? I had... The, the last thing I was working on was, was my work. Because what had started to happen was I had trouble just going to work. Mm. Because it was so triggering and so intense. And... I drive all day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so well, and it's... And operating a 3,000-pound bullet. Driving? Yeah. Not really. I'm, I've just done it so much. I've been... Driving most of the See, I have, well, I have a pretty stressful job because it's so. a job, and you yeah. have and you have to work stressful. to pay your bills. Yeah, yeah. and that's stressful. Yeah, regardless. That's true. I mean, regardless of what you do, if you have to yeah. work to pay your bills, yeah. there's going to be some, not just moderate level. But I also I'm in a different place where, like my friend John's birthday, and I bought him a a present. Thank you. Singer <coughs> <on the table. coughs> Excuse me. I'll cut that out later. <laughs> I probably won't. Um, <laughs> but Friday, you're having a birthday party. Now, the old me, and still, and there's that's still in there going, I can't afford to do this. I got bills to pay. But my relationships are more oh, like take the important. Evening off. Yeah, take the evening off. Because my, my logical part of myself, my money part of myself, my stressed about the bills part yeah. of myself says, Russ, it's Christmas party season. Yeah, <laughs> and I drive Uber and Lyft, and I just bought a seven-passenger vehicle, which means I get double the fare for large parties of people. Which you know, all these office parties and stuff like that is going to be crazy. But it's more my relationships, so I have a different economy now. So my relationships are important, mm-hmm. and you know, and if it costs me some money to to hang out with my friends, then that's okay because I need that. 
Yeah, therapy's like that for me, you know, yeah. taking time every week. Uh, not, not only like maybe taking an hour off work to go, but then actually paying to go. And yeah. It, it yeah. just adds up. There's something to that. And I used to say that, you know, when I started the other podcast, like, don't make excuses for money and shit. If you want it bad enough, you'll find a way. And now I'm kind of in the place where, where my financial situation is, like, if I had to pay for this shit, and, and thank God it's 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 free, what I'm doing, what I'm going through. And then Obamacare <laughs> for for the other therapy. Um, but if it, but if I had if I had to pay for it out of pocket, I don't think I could do it. It's either homelessness, like I like living in a house and wearing clothes and eating food, <laughs> you know. Um, so I think I'm at that level. Can Can I go back to the medication question? Sure. Okay, because uh, there's there's mixed opinions about it, mm. um, and I'm, I'm actually like like there, there's a couple groups I'm in online. Where a lot of people are on medication to do EMDR. Okay. And the official literature is that it is acceptable to take medication while doing EMDR. Right. But uh, my therapist, you know, her thing is, and we've talked a lot about it because there's a couple times though where I'm like, I can't fucking do this. Like, right. I, I need to, this, I can't do it. And my therapist knows me, so maybe <laughs> I should just do yeah. it because she, she knows me. Yeah. And, you know, and she's a professional. And and, uh, and we're we're, we're kind of like like we left it was you know let's try a couple things but see if you can wait a month yeah. because she comes just her experience has been that it does for some people blunt something yeah uh, and, and 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 then of course and I I don't know like everyone that's the hard thing with medication everyone's so different I personally. And I haven't been on medication in a long time, like like a like an antidepressant or an SSRI. I, I try. I, no, actually, I, I tried. I, I did try. Uh, I did try Wellbutrin last year for a period, but I struggle more with anxiety than I do depression. Okay. So it, it kind of helps some, but I, I don't know. I ended up like kind of not taking it. Um, but I've had. Did you feel numb no, or high? No. Yeah. I had. I've had good experiences on on antidepressants personally. You didn't really get high in high school, though, did you? Not in high school, no. Yeah. Notice I said not in high school. That didn't come to <laughs> No, uh, no. I was so high in high school, I just stopped going. No, I was kind of, <laughs> I was actually more of like a straight-edge kid in high school. But, um, no, well, and I sent you that article, that's really an article that you should read that really points out that the fact that, that, that they do work. Like, there's a certain measure of, e- of, of e- efficacy where they do benefit people. Right. And it's not like... I read that. That was an opinion piece. Though. No. Yeah. Not what I linked. There's, like, re- there's like links to studies. Yeah, there was that. links to studies, but it was... Look like at some dude. of those studies. But basically, it's like... Um, SSRI's got a lot of bad press from one study that was done that was really trumped up about how it's really no better than, than, than a placebo. St. John's Wart. Uh, yeah, because you mentioned about St. John's Wort. There are some natural. St. John's Wort is a is an SSR. No, it's not. Well, it's a natural. It's an herb. It, I don't know. It, it, it's kind of questionable. If you take if you take St. John's Wort while you're on like Wellbutrin, it, mm-hmm. it'll fuck you up. Oh, really? Like they tell you, don't take St. John's Wort if you're on this or Zoloft because you can overdose. The the hard thing with this stuff is it's trial and error, and yeah. everyone's body's different. And That's can, true. And, and I personally there's no silver bullet for everybody. I personally felt like it benefited me when I was on them when I was on them, but I haven't been on them in years. I decided to get off them when I was uh, because well the side effects kind of suck. Uh, to be fair though, like the last time I was on antidepressants, my wife was pregnant with my third child. I gained about you know twenty pounds. My blood pressure was going up. 
and you know my doctor's starting to talk to me about cholesterol and blood pressure medications like, right. oh shit I see where this is going yeah this med and you need this med to counteract that one and this med to counteract yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. okay so I was like well gosh is it the antidepressants doing this no, it's because you're a fat fuck and your wife's pregnant. That's why, <laughs> like, like I, I actually don't know which one it is. It could have been either. It might have been a little bit of both. But, right. you know, a lot of people, when your wife's pregnant, you gain the sympathy weight because, you know, she wants tacos and ice cream. Well, I better have tacos and ice cream with her, you know. And or say, the you Choco know, Taco. Yeah, well, the Taco Bell had the Choco Taco. So, so People say know, we don't do product placement here. We little. So, so I, you know. You get paid for it. <laughs> it's not as cool whenever you point it out, though. So uh, I'm actually not sure if those negative side effects were due to just poor lifestyle versus the, the actual medication itself. And that's one question mark I kind of have on it and was willing to re-engage <coughs> at one point. But but you just don't know. That's the thing. It's like, And a lot of the side effects subside over time, too, if you stick yeah. with it. Um, I just didn't stick with it. I was tired of the side of it. I broke down crying in my backyard. You need to give for it for no it, fucking least, reason. That's normal. You need to give it. At oh, least, dude! At least I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with dude, me? If you're doing EMDR, you're gonna fucking cry all the time. Oh, trust dude. me. Trust me. That's kind of the goal, actually. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's, that's kind of the goal. <laughs> but I did a lot of that talk therapy too, just stirring up shit that I had never talked about. You were gonna cry. Like, repressed, it, repressed. But it's good though. Think about the. I, I, I would describe a lot of EMDR work like you know it, it varies from week to week, but a lot of it's been a cross between a frontal lobotomy and an exorcism. Yeah, and you're nice. paying money to do it <laughs> <laughs> willingly. Actually, the Catholic Church is paying money to do it, which is ironic. The, this place we go is actually the majorly funded by the or... Catholic Church. Well, it's Providence Hospital. Oh, okay, so Prov- which is owned by. Majorly owned by it. But there's a grants. They run on grants. That's all the whole You thing. made the comment, Russ, that your friend said that it might slow process down. Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. Like, does it bother you that it might not go perfect? Perfect? Yeah. Or you have to reprocess Yeah. Is there, is there a control thing you know, in me that well, wants to control okay, but, everything? But, but consider this. So the other side to that argument is that they have what they call, I forget the term, but there's like a window of effectiveness or something where um, if, if you're feeling too triggered or too inflamed, it's not going to work. It's not going to be effective, mm. right? So, so, in, in, so for some people, something to kind of lower it down keeps you within that window where it's being effective. I see. Right? So it has its medication can have its place. If I were you, I don't know, maybe try a low dose of something, give it yeah. a month. and yeah. A low dose. I kept putting it off because I have to go to the clinic and have them prescribe it and I keep putting it off so I need to do that don't don't do it no, don't put it don't off don't put it off <laughs> <laughs> I like the don't do it part the doctor's I'm really good at procrastinating I'm the EMDR your medication science Derek that therapist she doesn't know what she's talking about right she doesn't know anything you can try it for force once just to see how fucked up it gets you gotta do it at least twice don't you really like the first time don't you guys know that you're just sinners and you just need Jesus? Just, or, so that's, just repent. Just repent. Just repent, bro. Just Derek, repent. when you were yeah. explaining the EMDR, straight I thought edge. that question, too. Just so go straight edge. How much of the, our, take, our brain taking over is you know ingrained in us through Christianity? Oh, you, oh, you know, yeah. hey, Russ, yeah, like, yeah, I'm man, that shit. Oh, yeah, you know, God just, he'll, he'll help you. So don't you keep trust praying him? him? Keep praying yeah. and God will figure it out yeah. for you. You're just not, trusting, you're just not trusting Jesus, man. 
right? I yeah. mean, that's, I've heard that. That's fucked up. That's another thing I'll tell listeners is if you're going to like a Christian counselor, make sure he's got some fucking letters behind <laughs> his name, right? That's one thing in this state, in the state of Washington, you can call yourself a counselor and charge money without any psychological... If it's faith-based, yeah. you don't have to have it. In Texas, no, they'll throw your ass in jail for that. But here in Washington State... You can you can open a practice without any psychological training whatsoever. Yeah, but there's a big difference between a counselor and a therapist. Yeah, I, yeah I that's true. I heard something years ago that was maybe in some way trying to discount therapy on some level, but it was there's actually a study done. I can't cite the source. I could probably find it if I really looked, but this is years ago. I was interacting with this, but um, they got a group of licensed therapists and a group of people off the street impersonating licensed therapists and then another group of people going into therapy dividing them up between each group you know the the actual therapists and the actual people pretending to be therapists and at the end of a certain period of time of therapy they did a survey and the satisfaction rating was exactly the same. Pretty much right. it's, it basically just points to it, there's catharsis or this yeah. sort of human need to communicate and we all have that, and, yeah. and, and sometimes it's just beneficial to go talk to someone who's a, a unbiased person. It's non. It's not going to be judgmental, yeah. and just listen. That just has tremendous, tremendous benefit just for. I heard a, to do. Or speaking of that, show you that they're you know being judgmental. Right. Yeah. Right. Because if you don't know them, you have no idea if they're being judgmental. Yeah. The other skin of the game they have is collecting your money. <laughs> exactly. Well, well, it's good to get to know someone. Like if you don't trust them or you don't have good chemistry with them, go get somebody else. And therapists know that. And it, yeah. Totally and they'll tell you if they're good. They'll tell you that. They'll, they'll tell you that might not be the person to to, to work with you. I heard a because a, a, I used to listen to a bunch of psych lectures. Like I've listened to hundreds of hours of psych lectures, and this woman. This was this was eye opening. She said, and you could hear it because I'm listening to audio, right? But she comes out, she goes, boom, and she throws this book down, and she goes, "This is the DSM." She goes, "There's no fucking blood test for depression or anxiety. We can't take your DNA and say, oh, this person struggles with that." You can do brain it's scans, though, right? All, yeah, you can do brain scans, but it's pretty much a judgment call. Like, there's PTSD, but you have to put those people in, and there's the, all that stuff is not super conclusive. Right. But this is, a, this is a, a woman who wrote clinical psychology books at Yale, mm-hmm. and she goes, we're just kind of guessing. Yeah. <laughs> it's based on this book, the DSM, there. and trying to, you know, ask questions and get to know, but most there's of us, ways There's ways of no. measuring, like, you know, someone's effect or mm-hmm. ways of, like, observing people, but yeah. Maybe they got the smiley face chart. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. How are you feeling? Show today? me on this chart. Yeah. Show me on this chart. Oh, uh, I went to. I've been in recovery groups, so that's where they started and hand out a thing. And Mars Hill you, did that. Mars Hill did that at. Today, uh, yeah. Where? Where? where you, which one of these little are you feeling like today? So but Derek, it was sort of helpful because we were walking in, kind of like Derek when we got here. Derek's like, you were tired, right? Like you didn't sleep good last night. And there's something to that. Like I, I'm kind of. Pissed off, or I had a rough day. And Is vocalizing it, you mean? What's that? Something to vocalizing it? Is that what you mean? Yeah, so when you're starting out with, you know, sharing where you're at, you're kind of starting with how your day went, which is helpful. Maybe I just having a bad day, you know. Or maybe my bad day is affecting my mood in this, in this situation, this group, as I'm sharing this thing, you know. AA groups do it. Hmm. Some of them, you know. 
That's another thing about twelve-step groups is it really depends on the leadership. Much like a therapist, if you got some jackass ego freak, um, scapegoating alcohol guy running the group, you know, I would, I would try and find another group. If the guy keeps talking about the disease and how alcohol is the devil, and I mean, there's nothing helpful. That's just. I don't know if you like why an alcoholic would go to AA. That's just me personally. Like it, just the the um, the dropout rate, the 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 effectiveness of it. It's just well, it's it's super effective when you have a good leader. Like there's not statistically, not statistically because no, there's so many. When you want it to be. Like when you're ready for it. Well, it goes well, about like, hey, you, you, you struggle with this problem. This is how you cure it. Just stop. <laughs> you know, like, just, no, AA just doesn't do no. it. AA doesn't do that. Well, AA, what AA does is basically gives you a lot of opportunities to go to meetings when you're triggered. You know, instead of taking the bottle, go to the meeting and yeah, you know, which is helpful because you're. It's kind of like what we're doing here. We're all talking about our lives and our situations, and there's something really. I mean, neurology is talking about that. Like, we're super disconnected as a culture. As a culture. Especially men. It's no wonder men have so many mental health problems. is because we don't fucking have any friends, most of us. Uh, and that's a thing, you know? Sure. So, well, it's unmanly to cry. It's unmanly to share those emotions. Didn't you but that's that? what's cool about AA is they'll say, you hang your ego at the door. Like, once you walk into the group, you know, a new person... We don't give a shit what you do for a living. You have no status over anyone here. Everyone's equal. I don't want to know what you even do for a living. You hang it at the door, and then you just and, and it's safe that way. And no, nothing leaves this room. You know, they'll say you're anonymous, and nobody talks shit about you outside of this room. And so that's helpful, you know, because a lot of people don't have that. No one, you know. I went to one AA meeting with a buddy of mine who's, who's an alcoholic, just to kind of support him and go with him. And, and uh, he introduced me to to the leader. He's like, "Yeah, this is, this is my friend. He he's just here to support me." And you know, he 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 he, he drinks. He, he's not an alcoholic, but he likes to drink sometimes. And, and and the guy looks at me almost with like tears. I'll never forget the look in this guy's eyes. Almost tears in his eyes. He goes, "You're so lucky." You're so lucky. <laughs> like, 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 wow, man, wow. Well, it's, and I think there's a difference, too, between those that look to alcohol or drugs. Speaking of that, you should open that bottle of scotch. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I got to, John a bottle of scotch. To numb out in that. those that continue to, like, the, it's like their body says, like, I need more. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Not that it's a, a disease, and it might be. Sure, I don't, I don't fucking know. But I think there is a huge difference, though, between just someone that's trying to numb the bullshit in their yeah. life versus someone that's just, for some reason, when they drink alcohol, their body just says, "Oh yeah, I like that. I need more and more." more and that's and more. yeah, and that's where I don't like the disease um, language because, so scientifically. Um, because they've mapped the human brain now, and one of the first questions they asked was, is there an alcohol gene? Because that's what AA, you know, insinuates. Well, you have the gene, you know. We have a pretty and the scientists, genetically, right? Yeah, when the scientists said, well, there's no... We didn't find any genetic markers for alcohol, but we did find genetic markers for impulse control. Oh, sure. Yeah. And so that's where I don't like where it's called a disease and it's it can be scapegoated yeah. because there's always something to take its place. You stop drinking, you still have impulse control problems. You're going to, you know, you find something else like porn or credit cards or food, yeah. <laughs> you know? Like there's a lot of things to be addicted to. Uh, I want to go back real quick to the EMDR thing and excuse me while I 
can hear the pouring. As we right. pour scotch. Um, that's a big boy pour. Here you go. Give me that one. Oh, it's two fingers. It's two fingers. It is two fingers. That's what she said. Oh. Um, well, you had to add some misogynistic to the. Yeah. Uh, Derek likes my fat guy analogy. I talked. I, I said it before. Forgive me, because redundant. If others have heard it, but like a. You know, like like you see those TV shows with this morbidly obese guy. He's like that. he's like twelve hundred pounds, and he needs to be. He, the only way he can leave his house is like with a crane or something, or when they remove the hinges off his door. Right. Okay. So chainsaw. So so a lot of times, like like this this kind of like those people can lose weight really 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 quickly. You mm. know, they get the lap band or the stomach staple or whatever. And and what what sometimes what, what I found like kind of using that analogy for myself is like like man like I used to be eight hundred pounds. And now I'm four. And that's awesome that I've lost 400 pounds. But you know what? You're I'm still, still 400 fat. pounds. <laughs> yeah, you're I'm still, still fat. fat. I'm still fat. <laughs> yeah. And so... Then you can think about the as good as it gets thing, right? Is that... Oh, the Jack Nicholson movie? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Is this as good as it gets? Is this as good as well, it gets? Yeah. If you would have just stopped... Or Larry David. Is this, uh, oh, whatever God, works for you. But if you would have stopped at 720 pounds, you're 10%... Lighter, which means you're ten percent happier, right? Mm, if he is the Dan Harris model. What, but what I was going to say though is, is there is something to say. Like I've lost four hundred pounds, but I'm still fat, right? And that, and, and some will, you know, maybe your goal's two hundred, right? Yeah. And that last two hundred pounds is the hardest to lose, and and it just seems daunting because it was so much easier to lose the four hundred than the two, and that's I got, I felt like I got stuck, mm. and. Um, and it's actually that you mentioned that is like is this is this as good as it gets? Because that's actually exactly where I got stuck was sort of like asking that question: Is this the rest of my life? Is this just my hardwiring? Is this just the way it's always going to be? And that's sort of a question that comes out of pain and desperation and fear and. And a lot of addicts do that. A lot of addicts do that. Yeah. And there's kind of an addictive component probably to chronic worry or anxiety or yeah. depression. Like you get so used to ruminating, you become addicted to it. <clears throat> you you don't know what else to do because your brain's done it for so long. It's how you cope. Could the last two hundred pounds be then the reprocessing? Well, what actually what was interesting is what we ended up doing, what's been I think effective, is okay, let's process that. Let's yeah. process that belief. Let's process that negative belief. That's where you're getting stuck. It's global. It's affecting every aspect of your life. Let's go there. And that's really where I think things have started to really loosen uh, through EMDR, processing the belief. Because you can process negative beliefs through mm-hmm. EMDR as well. So I, I guess if I'm piggybacking on that analogy, I kind of feel like maybe, I don't know, I'm, I'm about maybe 280, 275. Like, I'm so stoked to be in the 200s. But, you know, so, so I got that fucking 75 pounds to lose. <laughs> but, but, but at least I'm in the 200s on the scale. So so anyway, though, but it, it is hard work. But mm-hmm. but it, it, but you kind of adapt to it and figure shit out with the therapist. Because there is a talk therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy element to it as well. Um, when did you start EMDR? In August. So you're talking short time frame. Yeah, relatively. Mm-hmm. I'm a big so, baby. I don't like to suffer. I'm a big fucking baby. <laughs> Like, well, dude, you went. I mean, you you got overnight. You just had a two. I, like Chuck just went two days. That sounds easier. But there's also the <laughs> to a point. <laughs> it probably costs you the same amount of money as my four months of EMDR. There's also too, speaking but. of the the, the analogy. Well, if I add the stuff with Amy, it's I'm over two grand. But I figure I spend about five hundred a month on EMDR. Okay. Wow. 
Um, I go for 90-minute sessions, though. So What are they normally? Uh, my my therapist is cool. She kind of gives me a, like a little break because I don't go through insurance. And I pay like either 80 bucks an hour or 120 for 90 minutes, which isn't bad, actually, yeah. like relatively speaking, for as much as therapy can Yeah, that's about what a therapist. So you go once a week? I do. Okay. I've heard therapists cost up to 250 an hour, you know. New York or LA. Yes, that is freaking kind of cheap scotch. It's not super aged. No, it's it's good. Boom. Making it lots of people in the room. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but one of the things I wanted to bring up was relationship because I saw, like I used the analogy from the the punk band, My Chemical Romance. Like I had a. A relationship with with drugs and, and and with booze and with food and everything else, and so is is part of that losing the last two hundred pounds and knowing that you're kind of breaking up with that thing, and you're not going to have it anymore. Like it's not going to be your buddy anymore. I've asked myself that question, like you know, what's going to replace this when it's gone? Yeah. Or there, I think there definitely is a component of like I I can't. Gosh, I can't speak to... I, I have to really... I, I've thought about this, and I, I don't know where I've landed because I don't want to be so um, so flippant or, or, or so like unaware of my own self or my own blinders as to say, oh, no, that's not me. But I guess you never really know because there is something where you do kind of hang on to, to things, I, I guess. Um, mm. That's a really interesting question. Like how, how many people don't get help because on, on some level they don't want it? Yeah, on some like I kind of I kind of like Mary Jane, you know. I mean, I don't know. That's my thing with Mary Jane. So I had a breakup with Mary Jane just because I don't. I'm not the best version of myself when I was high. I mean, I've had friends that say, "Oh, you just didn't have the right stuff." It's like, no, I smoked a lot of weed, a lot of different kinds of weed. I used to sell weed, you know, and 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 then people go, "Oh, this stuff today is a lot more potent." Like, not in Washington State, it's not. Like they cap mm-hmm. it, they cap the DHC levels. So maybe in Colorado we could have that conversation, but um, it just I just don't I just don't want to anymore. Like I don't have the want to anymore with that. It's and, interesting, like as an adult, and I think that's real freedom is when you can break up with a thing and just I don't want to see you anymore. Or is real freedom being able to do it when you want to and not have it be a thing? Well, that's kind of like my thing with alcohol. You see, I would say... And I drank you know, myself to death. Um, like, I, according to AA, I should never touch alcohol again. I actually enjoy cannabis uh, recreationally. Yeah. And I don't judge you for that. I know fine. Don't. There's a lot of people. Uh, I do. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I love you anyway. Because I'm high. No, I'm not. <laughs> but but, um, but I, I think there's... Like anything, there's a way to enjoy things. And, yeah. And, and have a good discernment level and relationship with, with your substances. I don't know if I like the word relationship when it comes to... That that that, that 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 sort of connotates a, um, and I'm just talking out loud. This isn't a well formulated thought, but it, it kind of seems loaded with Christianese language. Doesn't? How's your relationship with alcohol? How's your relationship? <laughs> like, how have a fucking relationship with alcohol? I've never heard a Christian like, say well, that besides myself. <laughs> no, it's a, I think he's right. Is yeah, it? Is it a thing? Yeah. yeah it, uh, it, it's like, you know, enjoy what you enjoy. Don't overdo it. And if it's a problem, uh, don't do it. You know, if, it, if it's a problem for you, don't do it. But I think uh, we get into kind of these ways of over... Spiritualizing it, maybe. Uh, I'm just talking out loud again. It's not a wolf. Well, see, I, I like relationship because that's my thing. What, like with marijuana, for example, 
my thing is, and my friends that don't drink, like they don't like when I say, you know, just drinking is fine. It's just some people, you know, just either drink or don't drink, but don't judge other people that do. Right. And that's not so much a Christian thing. Like Christians love to judge. Like if I can't drink, nobody's gonna fucking drink because it's a sin or whatever, right? Yeah, they kind of impose their yeah, yeah. So I think I guess that's why I like it because it's 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 not scapegoating it, and that's what a lot of spiritual language likes to do. It likes to say that it has some kind of mystical power over you. One thing I, I just like if you think that alcohol is going to wrestle you down and pour itself down your throat, like that's just bullshit. Or porn. All these people that are war against the porn industry. Like there's no no one's shoving a gun to anybody's head. Like we want the porn industry. That's why it exists. It exists because we, we we're, we're consuming it, yeah. Um, just a sidebar note, because you were talking about medication and cannabis and um, even St. John's Wort, is uh, CBD um, is, is the non-psychoactive uh, molecule that's in cannabis. It's non-psychoactive, it won't get you high. It's right. actually like really, really a, a good supplement for like an anti-anxiety sort yeah, of Or opiates. I've heard people that use opiates, they give them that. Oh, CBD. Has, a, lot yeah, of, yeah. Uh, a lot of people have weaned off opioids for chronic pain yeah. and stuff. It, it, again, I think it hits people differently. I I really like CBD oil. It's a, it's a bit expensive. It's, it's kind of like the downside to it. Yeah. But if you're concerned about getting on medication or side effects, um, there might be a tolerance thing too where, uh, you know, people build a tolerance to it and you need to take more. I haven't hit that point with it yet, but I've had some luck kind of experimenting with CBD oil and it's a really good supplement. Yeah. That. Have you ever done an EMDR process while you were high? Oh, no. <laughs> try it. I asked, yeah. I would, see, I think I would try it. It's your birthday tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> it's like asking, have you ever watched the, the Led Zeppelin film Song Remains the Same while you're high? <laughs> or cartoons. Any cartoon. <laughs> this is taking a weird turn. <laughs> no wonder Derek wants to land the plane. <laughs> well, land anticipating the... Where we're yeah. So I guess to, to, to land the plane on... on we, do we even talk about consciousness? No, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> sort of. On EMDR. We touched on EMDR, it. EMDR, EMDR. Yeah. Marcus, so woke. We, Jack. Don't, we don't need to talk Jack. about it. Wait, so, so for those who haven't listened to your story before, haven't heard our podcast before, you didn't even... What's White Raven Center? What, what the fuck's Chuck talking about? Yeah. I've heard of White Raven Center. You yeah. haven't. Oh. So, okay, we'll Maybe plug. you can edit we'll, this toward the we'll, beginning. We'll, we'll plug it. We'll Wait, plug it. Chuck, what's White Raven Center? <laughs> it's a place that you go... For a bunch of woo woo. No, and that's I do like that term woo woo with it because I think a lot of it is a like an unknown factor. The mystical oh, thing, yeah. Yeah. So White Raven Center is a mental health page outpatient um place in Anchorage yeah, Anchorage, Ohio. Um, Anchorage, Alaska, yeah. <laughs> Anchorage Alaska. Like your insurance will cover it. It's yeah, not I some mean, it's it's legit as yeah. far as the therapy stuff goes. Um, the lady that runs it, her name is Marianne, um, her, with her husband Floyd. They actually do the workshops out of their home, uh, which when she tells some of these stories about their neighbors, it's kind of funny because people are processing and they're just screaming at the top of their lungs. Uh, she tells about, she told us What is story. a process? Just, can you describe it? <laughs> can you yeah, describe so, uh, For what I experienced, you lay down on, the, on this little mat. 
Um, normally they have weighted blankets they'll put over you, yeah. and then a blindfold. You don't have to put the blindfold on. Um, I find it helpful just because there is a lot of crying in it, and so and I'm one that just continues to wipe my face. And so with the mask on, like A, I'm not wiping my eyes, and then B, the tears are kind of getting soaked into the mask anyway, so it's I don't have to wipe my face. Um, and there's really two stages of like beginning um, a process. The the first part is if you're not triggered, you know, you just start talking. Uh, and it's a lot of like talk therapy until you get to tr- being triggered. Right. And then it's based, not that you like stop talking, but you're being asked a lot of questions and then saying, you know, like they're telling you, like, okay, keep going into that, like keep feeling it. And you're right. breathing kind of, right? Yeah, and that, so that's the, where you it. start with the, thank you. Uh, so it's, you just start breathing and it's, you concentrate on that. So it's big breaths. They talk about uh, big belly breaths, which I think is funny because. It's actually not in your lungs, and it's the worst way to breathe in playing it. <laughs> <laughs> but it helps because it just gets your mind off of... It gets you out of your head, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think is what it does. Yeah, it gets yeah. you concentrating on something Because we're so cerebral, we're so trying to think everything through. Yeah, you, you, you were trying to... That's what I really enjoyed about it, too. Your crap, and it's yeah. like you just don't, you don't understand yet. Yeah, and um, is there something to the breathing because it really does... It almost l- lets go of your brain to a certain extent because all that thoughts because I had thoughts just swirling around, yeah. and every time my thoughts started to swirl, like Amy could sense that, and she's like, "Just breathe, rest, breathe, breathe. Yeah. breathe, just breathe." And with me, it was you're just here, you're laying the, down. Just a lot of it wasn't the, my swirling thoughts; it was more of the shutting down and actually not breathing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, br- like breathe, and it's like, oh yeah, I haven't actually taken a breath in actually a really long time. <laughs> um, and so there's several different. Um, at least what I witnessed, there were several different uh, emotional portions of the process. Um, I watched this lady get very, very, very angry. Um, she had a baseball bat and was beating the hell out of this mat. Um, and a, she's picturing um, something else. Um, and it's funny because what I saw in my brain was her... You guys ever watch The Walking Dead? Oh, yeah. So when Negan, the first episode of whatever season, and Negan kills those two guys, he's just beating the shit out of Glenn's head or Red's head or whatever it is. And I'm picturing this. Like, there's just this bloody baseball bat, like, and she's just bashing their heads in. Um, I've seen, I watched a kid. He was in the, his mother's womb and birthed himself. He turned into, like, this two-year-old in the crib. There's a lot of crying. Um, and then just... Uh, like happiness and they call it soul retrieval and integration um, and that's uh, it's really hard to explain Wait, what that really deep is deep interior work but it's yeah it's huge interior work um, and as John explains EMDR it kind of sounds a little bit like that like you're going past yeah, and I've heard, lobe kind of I've heard they're the as far as the body work goes they're, they're like identical they're yeah. the same yeah yeah it's just a different road to get there. It's a different road to bypass your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard that hypnosis can be another way to bypass your brain. Um, I, yeah, I don't know about any of that stuff. I just know what I went and did. But so, White Raven Center, um, yeah, again, so they're out of Anchorage, Alaska, and they do this three day workshop. You show up Friday and then they, they kick your ass out on Sunday um, evening. <coughs> Go ahead. Well, White Raven Center, I think, became something that is even things that we talk about because 
our, our friend Seth Taylor uh, had some success doing some work there, and he wrote about it in his book. Yeah. And but part of it, part of the reason I know Seth is because he wrote that book that got published by Triple X Church. And I do a podcast on, on the same stuff that Triple X Church talks about, right? Um, sexually compulsive behavior. It's because I started meditating yeah, and you, Christian mysticism, and I'm like, hey, you should check this guy out. Yeah, and you, you were the first one to mention it. I on a podcast. Like, this yeah, sounds interesting. You were the first one to mention it. And then I, I emailed Craig Gross, because so, I know Craig Gross, mm-hmm. and, and Craig goes... And at first he was kind of shitting on it. Like he described exactly what Chuck described. He goes, oh, dude. And I thought, you know, I've, I've been to some of these, you know, like wildernessy kind of mm-hmm. retreats and intensives well, where you're out Craig in the Gross woods. Craig Gross has and, gone to the White Ravens. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, so, left, so he listen, wrote the foreword in Seth's book. He yeah, he wrote, the, he, read the, he wrote the foreword. And I, and I <clears throat> listened to, to Seth's book and I listened to Craig's story in the foreword. And so, and so I, I, you know, I email Craig and I go, you know, I've heard of these. It sounds cool, like a cool, you know, fun, like outdoorsy kind of uh, intensive thing. And how was it? And he goes, oh, it was fucking weird. <laughs> like, you see, you know, people are pounding on stuff and they're in a mat and everyone's they're sweating and they're screaming and crying and puking. gnashing oh, of so teeth, you know. And uh, <laughs> there's puking? Yeah. He didn't mention that. Yeah, lots of that. But he went, when he, he was talking, he told me, he goes, in the foreword, he wrote about this. He didn't tell me specifically, but in the foreword, he talked about having these headaches, and 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 his dad. You know, this had to do. And he processed some of the stuff of his dad passing away. And 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 so this foreword that he wrote, it, a year and a half had passed since me having this conversation with Craig and since he wrote that. Mm-hmm. And so he's kind of, and he, he left early. I guess he's one of the only people that ever yeah. left White Raven Center early. And, and I said, but Craig, how are the headaches? I had to ask him twice, and he emailed me back, and he goes, I haven't had one since. <laughs> so there's someone to it, right? That blows my mind. Yeah. It's amazing. And, and Chuck doesn't... And Chuck I don't smoke anymore. smoke anymore. Stop smoking. Well, except for the cigars. Cigars. Yeah, I don't which inhale. is different. You're not inhaling. Yeah, I'm not an alien. You know, I, I, I don't know. Like an interesting thing to maybe, like, just interject is where, you know, we talk some about uh, woo woo and and uh, rationalism, and you know, uh, I, I was describing to Derek and Arthur um, a podcast I was listening to where two guys, a, a Christian. And agnostic, we're talking about that passage in the Gospels of Jesus giving the rich man and Lazarus parable, and you know, uh, you know, you can look it up. But basically, like uh, uh, the rich man's in hell in the bosom of Abraham. No, no, he. Uh, I'm sorry, he he's in hell and he's talking to to, to, to God. I'm, I'm totally botching the parable, although I know it well, he's asking. Right? And, he's asking and, for water. Right? Yeah, he's asking for yeah, water. He's like it's really Lazarus. hot. Lazarus. Yeah, Lazarus. Yeah. yeah, the rich man Lazarus. He's like he's talking to, to Lazarus. Lazarus is in the bosom of Abraham, and this guy's in hell. Like it's really hot down here. You know, could you just please go back and, and tell my my brothers, brothers yeah. that you know that this place sucks? <laughs> and and you know the, the response was something like, even if someone were to rise from the dead, they wouldn't believe. Yeah. And and these two guys were talking about this on this podcast, and, and kind of the the atheist of the two is like, you know, would you believe if someone rose from the dead? Because you know what, I don't think so. Like even if I saw it, I would seek some rational explanation. I would try to disprove yeah. it. I just don't think I would believe it. And I think that you can parallel that to sometimes like maybe Chuck's experience or some of healing that people experience, where people will look at it 
maybe try to judge it, maybe try to discount it. And it's like, you know, someone rose from the dead, or I was blind and now I see. Yeah. In, in some respects, and it's just kind of a rhetorical question I've asked, and maybe it's more of a sidebar conversation I've had with more Derek and Arthur, who are kind of more of our rationalist friends, and I, I kind of flirt with it, I kind of teeter-totter between both rationalism and mysticism, but that's just the way I'm wired, because I have questions, but I also, part of me believes. But anyway, for me, after seeing Chuck come back from there, it's like, man, the real fucking question is why the hell aren't we all buying tickets up to Alaska to go to this place? After we saw our friend, like he was blind, now he sees, like he was resurrected. Like shit, I mean, his transformation's been amazing, almost like instantaneous. It's just a question. I'm just throwing it out there, like just for exploration. If I had 1,500 bucks, I'd go. Trey, play me. (laughs) (laughs) That was great. You can find the money. Wait, find the money and go. I want to end with this, though. No. No, (laughs) So before you end with this, if you had the $1,500, you would go. But did you not earlier, or do you not later, depending on editing, say that you tell friends... I don't have time to edit this. Okay, good. (laughs) Did you not earlier say that money is just an excuse that you've talked to your friends and every time no I said that I said money was an excuse until I didn't have any fucking money and now I realize how real it is that it's not an excuse you know it's it's really it's really where I'm at okay so I guess that's that's 1500 bucks isn't nothing so dude I have like seriously I have like maybe seven dollars in my checking account and that's all the like if my if my world crumbled right now I've got seven fucking dollars in my checking account that's all I got to pay my bills that's my life I'm I'm living on a, on a you know a shoestring you should have bought me a bottle of whiskey <laughs> <laughs> no but that's that's yeah, but thank you <laughs> yeah but see that's I'm I'll make more money tomorrow but that's kind of how I've been living the last couple of years you yeah know? i mean it's been it's been hard so i i stand on the belief that i am being pursued by relentless love i had mm. a friend who I, I got an email from who reminded me of that and there's something really beautiful and profound about that that i really believe that and not just believe it but i've experienced it that this god that i put a middle finger in the face of for a big chunk of my life has been pursuing me with relentless love yeah. and compassion and affection. And uh, I don't know, that's a good place to, to land the plane. What do you guys think? Amen. <laughs> Amen, Amen, brother. Arthur's not here when you say shit. That'll be the next week's show. <clears throat> Thank you for listening to Punk Allergy.